everyone, welcome to a special ESMO preview, your Amigos podcast. Tom and I are joined by uh, Sophie Gillison, our friend and colleague, who is the scientific chair, I believe, of the ESMO uh, conference. So a special treat, Silky, to have you here with us today. Um, and we're going to just sort of go over data in each disease that we're excited about. Um, obviously, we're not going to talk about data specifics, but what are we excited about? How do you think it'll impact, you know, and, and sort of what's exciting upcoming uh, in a week or so? So, Silky, why don't we kick it off with you with prostate cancer? Tell us the big prostate data at ESMO. What are you excited about? So thanks, Brian. Uh, yeah, I, I'm obviously going to start with uh, the one prostate cancer data that we have um, in the presidentials. That will be the PSMA4 trial. Um, and in reality, we had the press release of that data quite some time ago. So we had expected the data already at ASCO, but now it's coming at ESMO. So for the ones who are not um, doing so much prostate cancer, this is a trial in MCRPC, so in metastatic um, castration-resistant prostate cancer, using lutetium PSMA after one novel endocrine agent and before chemotherapy. And the the kind of you know control arm that you can we can discuss that now, but we, we shouldn't, um, is the alternate um other novel endocrine agent. So, so I think, you know, a, long, a lot of us have waited for that data and I'm, I'm really totally excited to, to see it at the presidential. Oliver, so can I ask you a question? What is the response rates if you sequence uh, Abby and Enza? Is it, you know, what is, the, is it really the right control arm? Because I guess that's, a, I know it's an important question for the topic, but I think we can kind of, you know, is, is it, what, what's your response rate like? Is it something that's currently a standard of care or, or is it not? Just for our audience. It, it's not. I, according to the, the most guidelines, um, they will say it's not a standard of care. But when you talk to your American colleagues, and maybe Brian can help there, um, they say it's done a lot because patients don't want chemotherapy. So, you know, I, I guess it, it's kind of the, the response rates, as you know, there is one trial, and that's probably the best trial um, that has shown a response rate of, of about 25% in highly selected patients enter after ABI. Probably the response rate is is even lower for ABI after ENSA. Um, so, so I, you know, we, we can das, discuss that a long time, but um, yeah. we, we're going to discuss it there, I guess, as well. I mean, it's so this is basically the vision trial, but pre-chemotherapy, correct? Yeah, from what I'm understanding, yes. But okay. obviously, you know, we haven't seen the data, so we, we have to sure. check what, what was really in there. But uh, yes, Brian, I guess it's a bit cleaner, right? Because it's not that many pretreatments in this trial. Right. And, and to answer your question, yeah, I guess I do that in practice. Obviously, I'm looking for other things to do, you know, be it PARP inhibition in selected patients or trials or whatever, but it is sort of a very unsatisfying default standard you know, in a patient who is unwilling to get chemo or unfit or whatever to give another, you know, androgen receptor but Brian, inhibitor. But Brian, most people you give chemo to. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's a, a strong resistance to chemotherapy I agree. from advanced prostate cancer patients. And so sometimes I say, hey, listen, you really need chemotherapy. You have symptomatic rapidly progressive disease. You know, I can sort of talk them into it. But I think if it's a more indolent patient, then there's there's a strong resistance. I, I wouldn't say most. I don't know what the numbers are, but I wouldn't say most. I hope not every abstract. Uh, Tom, if I may be. So, so, oh, sorry, Tom. It's okay. Keep going. Keep going. Keep, I'm only joking. I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to say, you you know, we haven't seen the control arm. So I haven't been a part of that trial. So I, I can't say anything. So maybe they have also sure. 
kind of you know allowed other stuff like uh, steroids whatever so so i don't know that but but uh, i think this is why so it's something for the audience to look out for something for the audience to look out yeah. for. there's something for everyone in that particular presentation and what do we know from the press release silky i don't remember that, that it's positive just that it's positive okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> more we can't say that's why it's presidential okay we got that okay um and what else I, what else is exciting there so for, for me, to be honest, there is a very interesting phase one study with a bispecific antibody against STIOP1. Um, so, so we haven't seen the data there. So I think it's it's quite interesting to see what's what's going to come out of that one. Um, I think it's a pr in the profit paper session. And there is also the final results of radicals. Remember last ESMO, there were, was at the uh, presidential was the radicals, but the question about the duration of the hormonal treatment, this is post-operative radiotherapy. Um, so that could have been adjuvant or also early salvage therapy. And now they present the final results of the radiotherapy question. So is 66 gray better than 52.5 or is it the same or is it uh, less less good? So um, that, that I think is quite exciting. It's a huge study, uh, a UK study. And um, Suki, just before you go any further, you talked yeah. about um, a, a previous drug. How did that drug work? That was a, in, a phase one trial getting an oral presentation is slightly unusual. What is that drug? So as I said, this is bispecific antibody and yeah. the antigen is STIOP1. So that is six transmembrane epithelial antigen of prostate one. That's obviously together with a CD3. Um, and, you know, we have already seen a little bit of it published. Um, I can't remember, I think in JCO. And it looked quite interesting. So, so I think you know it's it's interesting because it's for solid cancers there are not that many solid um, by specific antibodies around. Cool. But I have so I haven't seen the data. We will see what's happening. And then, Silky, something that caught our attention um, is I think there's a, a small randomized phase two of Enza plus lutetium. Yeah, from, yeah, exactly. From Louis Emmet. Um, so I think this is a quite interesting. It's an academic trial. It's an on-soup trial. So it's patients who start first-line MCRPC with ENSA. So they get ENSA versus ENSA plus lutetium. So I, I totally agree, Brian. This is this is quite interesting. They selected for high-risk patients. So to be honest, um, I haven't found that defined anywhere. So I'm really looking forward to that um, to to that presentation. And Louis is really someone who's really really good. So Great. happy to see that. And then maybe in the mini orals, um, I think something really interesting. Don't know if you heard about the MBOC trial. Have you talked about that in your amigos? I don't think so. This is the, you know, that that was actually presented at AUA, the first, the efficacy data. So that's a, a quite interesting trial uh, in non-metastatic hormone sensitive disease. So high risk relapses, um, PSA relapses, and they gave either ADT alone, ADT plus enzalutamide or enzalutamide alone. And so the, the, the oh, data okay. has been published in, in AUA for the efficacy, but now we see the health-related quality of life data, and I think that will be quite interesting to see. Yeah, I think we did do a podcast on that around AUA, as I remember, but, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see quality of life data. Um, Tom, let's, 
let's thanks, Sokey. That was great. Uh, Tom, let's do kidney cancer next. We always save kidney cancer for last, and I feel, you know, I feel it's like Asco GU. You know, I'm still upset about Asco GU because it's always on the Saturday. I think we need to change that. We need to mix it up. Well, I've been trying to mix it. Let's so set I agree an with you. by doing kidney cancer second in this let's, podcast. Let's do that, Brian. I I'm, I'm totally supportive of that approach. So I think in RCC, there I think all the interesting stuff is in one session. I think this is the Saturday afternoon session. It's a proffered paper session that Manuela Schmidinger and our fellow, your amigo, Cristina Suarez Rodriguez, are chairing. And there's three um, Belzutifan abstracts. Probably the most prominent is uh, what's known as 005, which is we have a press release about a couple of weeks ago, Belzutifan compared to Everolimus in basically third and fourth lines with a refractory kidney cancer. So a trial actually initially started by Peloton before Merck bought the drug. Um, and we know from the press release that it's positive, you know, and so obviously this is going to impact, this would be the first large positive trial, large randomized trial with Belzutifan that's positive will presumably lead to approval, at least in the U.S. Um, and, and use. So I think that that data and the tolerability and the numbers and everything are going to be hugely important and, and generate a lot of discussion. And um, Brian, I was giving Silky a hard time about the control arm of that, of her position around my phase three. Can I ask you the same question? Is Everlimus the right control arm? No, you can't ask. Okay, fine. Let's keep going. Um, well, it's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like in prostate, right? I mean, as, as, I don't mind, Brian. As you both well know, you know, um, this trial was designed, gosh, many, many years ago, right? When probably Everlimus was maybe more appropriate or more common use, although still in some use today. So I think it's reasonable. Is it the most robust control arm? No, I mean, but again, we don't, you know, in third, fourth, fifth line kidney cancer, we don't really know what to do, right? There is no standard. And, Dave, so, and um, Brian, our friend Dave McDermott, he's been telling people for years, anyone who wants to listen, that um, this isn't the best place for Belzutifan. And Eric Yonash would tell us in VHL-driven primary tumors, the response rates are extraordinarily high. Have we got the right place for the drug? Well, I think my my personal opinion is ultimately it'll it'll find a home in earlier line lines of treatment in kidney cancer be that frontline as you know is an ongoing triplet incorporating it or a completed accrual triplet we haven't heard about and then some of that question relates to other data being presented that tony's presenting of light spark 003 which was belzu in combination with cabozantinib and i think it's an update because these data have been published so there must be some substantial update on these data it's relevant because there's a large randomized trial of actually belzu lenvatinib compared to cabozantinib but this was the original TKI combination with this drug that preliminarily had very high response rates. I don't remember the published data, but they were up in the, I don't know, 50% range, something that seemed more than TKI monotherapy, although, you know, we've been burned before by, by single arm studies. So we'll see what the, these data update is and obviously then wait for that randomized trial. And then the last couple of things, Neeraj is presenting a, um, a randomized phase two of dosing of Belzutifam. You know, I mean, it, like TKIs, right? We don't really know about dosing. We've been playing around with dosing for years and not got it right. So this is, I think, an interesting study to see if there's a difference. And and as you may remember back from the the Peloton days, there were different formulations of this drug and different PK, and it took a little while to get that right. So we'll see if there's any interesting data there. And then the last thing is actually a, um, a phase three trial that's sort of flown under the radar by uh, Chinese investigators called Reno Torch, which I love the name. It's uh, for a palimab with Axie versus sunitinib. So it's kind of like Keynote 426, but instead of Pembro, it's this other uh, anti-PD-1 agent. Um, and so it'd be interesting. If, is it just like the other IOTKIs? And I don't know median follow-up. I don't know anything about it, but it'll see if this, you know, if this is 
a substantive change to how we think about the, the IoTKI landscape or not? Um, Brian, can I ask you a question? So, um, what's the most exciting bladder can uh, renal cancer trial out there at the moment that we that we haven't seen yet? Because you know, have we now? We I keep talking about this plateau, but this I mean, I've looked at the Belzutafan study. This study is maybe the last big drug. There's no you know, there are no studies in early phase three or late phase two that, that are coming through. Have we plateaued in, in, in kidney cancer? And please name me your favorite trial that you think is going to change practice. Um, I think we've probably plateaued in the doublet space, right? I don't know that there's going to be any other doublet that I can think of that's going to significantly move the needle. Again, we'll see what this RenoTorch uh, data is like. Um, I'm totally biased because I'm involved with the study, but the frontline triplet, the Merck-sponsored frontline triplet, right? We saw Cosmic, which was more toxic and therefore limited toxicity. And so we'll see if this, you know, other variations on a triplet, one of which includes Belzutifan, is number one, more tolerable and, and you know, obviously number two, more effective than a, a doublet, which is Lenpembro in the case of that trial. So, I, you know, in terms of big moving the needle changing practice, I think that's the, I think that would be the one I'd pick sort of off the top of my head. Uh, okay, Brian. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom Bladder, bring us I home. Thought never, I thought you'd never ask. I thought you'd never <laughs> ask. <laughs> big, look, big ESMO for Bladder, probably the biggest of the three. That's why we saved it for last. Well, look, I mean, I think there are a couple of things. Firstly, there are two um, presidential abstracts um, uh, in bladder cancer, and you'd have seen two press releases recently. Um, frontline standard platinum-based chemotherapy, GEMSYS or GEMCARBO, has been the standard for 40 years, never been beaten from OS. Uh, remember, maintenance of Alimab is a selected group of patients whose cancers have not progressed. And uh, we've had two press releases, both with OS, one with Cabo Nevo in cisplatin eligible population, uh, population. So these are the cisplatin population, about half the population, uh, according to the Gowski criteria. And we know there's a PFS and we also know in the press release there's an overall survival advantage. We've never seen that before in the frontline space and it's exciting. And then more recently, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we saw Infortunab, Dotin and Pembrolizumab. And this is in unselected patients, cisplatin eligible and cisplatin ineligible, frontline metastatic urethelial cancer. We've shown a progression-free survival and an overall survival advantage. So those two are going to be presented at the same time. Um, and um, I think it's going to be, you know, it's the first time we've seen an OS signal in this space, so it's going to be a big deal. Clearly, the numbers are going to be relevant. And again, as you've said before, the control arm, well, chemotherapy of Valumab was not the control arm. And when these trials were designed, that wasn't available. So there's lots to see within the data to be balanced on that. But we're hoping to see a real change in practice. We'd like to see chemotherapy as it currently exists being superseded and we'd like to see big OS advantages that we've not seen previously. So that's so, exciting. So Tom, just to clarify in both these trials without giving away obviously any data, the control arms were chemo, but without built-in maintenance of Valimab, even though some patients probably got it. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, so when the trial started, but you can't stop patients, you can't stop people giving maintenance of Valimab because you randomize someone and you give them chemotherapy. And then at the end of chemotherapy, if maintenance of Valimab is available, you've got to discuss it with your patients. So it depends on the timing of enrollment of the trial. Okay, right. But it wasn't part of the trial. 
No, because when the trial started, it wasn't Stanley. It was. Yeah, I got you. Okay. But these. Can I ask you? Was there a? a, Do you know? Was there a crossover in in the in the trial? In crossover into into the other into the other into Evie Pembroke. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. I mean, this is available on clinicaltrials.gov, but there's no there's no planned crossover in the trial, and uh, to get Evie Pembroke for those patients who progressed on chemotherapy. Okay. But Tom, to your point, I mean, these data in in summary, and obviously we'll have to see the details in one versus the other, et cetera, and they're not identical populations, do you think will transform frontline bladder cancer? Well, I think survival signals in this setting are, um, are going to be important. It depends on what degree we see, how much survival there is, how much toxicity there is. Yeah. You know, the indirect comparisons with maintenance of Valumab may occur. So it needs to be just, you know, I guess we need to go and have a look and see what we see. Okay, but exciting. Um, what else in bladder? That's a lot, but what, any, <laughs> so anything there is, else? Yes, there is. So there's another randomized phase three being presented. It's not in the presidential session. This is uh, pembrolizumab versus, or erdofitinib versus pembrolizumab in patients with advanced urothelial cancer who've not previously had immune therapy, but have FGFR DNA alterations. And... Um, uh, and this trial is a, you know, it's an exciting study because many people feel that, well, not feel, this is true. In the previous <laughs> trial where we looked at chemotherapy versus erdofitinib, we identified that actually the FGFR positive population had very low pdl one expression. Mm-hmm. So you would sort of expect, if you believe in the biomarker, you would sort of expect that erdofitinib would knock pembrolizumab out of the water because these patients have got luminal cancers, they've not got immune infiltration. And we know from other cancers like prostate cancer that have low immune infiltration, they don't do particularly well with immune therapy. So these results should be, you know, as exciting as the chemotherapy results. But, uh, um, and of course, the chemotherapy results came in with a hazard ratio of 0.56. These, of course, are in pre-treated populations. So these patients have all had previous, uh, they've all had previous platinum-based chemotherapy. Um, uh, in fact, so so I think that this is you know this is a second or a third randomized phase three that we are um, we're, we're looking at. So I'd, I'd definitely attend uh, that session. I think that's exciting. There's more data on erdofitinib. Sorry, Brian, you go. I was just going to say for that that erda versus pembro. I mean, how would you think that would impact practice? I mean, I guess if it does beat it, if erda wins, then yeah, you would use that in those patients as I think we're currently doing. If it doesn't. I mean, does it somehow dampen your enthusiasm? I mean, you're still probably going to consider both drugs, right? And you might do A, then B, or B, then A. I think if it's a positive trial, um, then I think um, we're going to need to, you know, maybe move Erda forwards. But it's difficult because if EV Pembro is positive and, right. and, and, and you know, so the whole thing's like, like playing, you know, it's like playing um, table football on a moving ferry. You know, there's so many moving parts to this. That the ball's going to be swirling all over the place. So we're going to need to, at the end of the. Of, What's of table a, football? Um, you know, that, you know what table <laughs> do you know something? Yeah. Yes, of course. Oh, Brian does. Oh, oh, we call it foosball. I think we call it foosball. Foosball. Yeah. 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 Okay. Foosball on a ferry, on a, in a rough sea. You know, the ball's you. moving all over the place, and you can't. So I think we're just going to have to walk away from the meeting, look at the data we've seen. But clearly, if it's a positive trial, lots of people are going to be reaching to erdofitinib quite quickly. Um, sure. And if it's a negative trial, people have to say, well, what, what's going on with the biology and, and have we got all this right? Yeah. Um, 
So I think that's there as well. Jim Cato is presenting um, a study looking at erdafitinib versus chemotherapy in BCG refractory non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. This is early disease. And this is an exciting study as well because we've shown a little bit of data at ASCOGU. We did a, some um, some work with SEER on this, I think, where we we shown activity of ERDA. Um, and um, I think that the activity of ERDA early in the disease is important because more patients with non-muscle invasive and metastatic have FGFR alterations. So I think that was interesting. And then if you work down from there, there's also an antibody drug conjugate doublet study. So there's SG plus EV, sasatuzumab, gabatecan, and portumabidotin together in a phase one trial. And that's, I think, the first ADC doublet trial that's been done globally, I think. And so I think that's really exciting. And we need to look at the results of that. And then the last piece is there's a little bit of work from the group in the Netherlands around erdafitin, uh, sorry, around um, tremolimumab, the CGLA4 inhibitor, and um, uh, looking at dosing with chemotherapy. And that's relevant because there are two trials ongoing, randomized phase threes, one of which is the Nile trial, frontline metastatic, and the other is the Volga trial, non-muscle invasive triplet EV dervatremi. And, uh, and so looking at the dosing of, of tremi in combination with immune therapy with 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 ataxane chemotherapy. There are some exciting yeah, Go sorry, ahead. Brian. Just no, in the mini in the mini oral session, there are one or two things um that are worthwhile looking at. Um, and I'd go to that session. The bladder session is so strong that many of the mini orals could have been oral presentations. Um, you know, there's some looking at TAR 200 uh, intracyclically. Um, there's um, a little bit of work looking at um, neoadjuvant tezolizumab um, in um, in in non uh, non urethelial cancer. Uh, and there are three or four really other quite interesting bladder cancer presentations. So it is a good bladder session. All three of those sessions, the presidential, mini oral, and the oral session. It sounds like a lot of practice impacting data across different disease states, if you will. And it's probably the biggest bladder meeting since fill in the blank. <laughs> and right? I may, just as, as the scientific chair, and I know we are with Uro Amigos, but I have to say um, there it will be also a great meeting for the cancers like lung cancer, gynecological cancers. So it's really worth going to the plenaries. Um, and to some other sessions that we try to put in. Um, if I may just interrupt here, Tom, I don't know if you, or, or do you did you want to talk more about bladder? I'm sure there is. Oh, no, I like it's very healthy for me to be interrupted on these these podcasts, um, Silky. So your interruption is welcome. And, <laughs> and, and please describe other areas that people should be attending beyond just the urology sessions. I just, you know, I think for me, one of, of the interesting things is um, a, a symposium, I think a special symposium um, about more intelligent trial designs. Um, Brian asked before about the, you know, the control arm. So this is Max Palmer and Ian Tanok, obviously critically like always um, to, to try to discuss how could we make a better, smarter trials. I think that's quite interesting. And there are three keynote um, lectures, as you probably have seen, and I think especially one of them, the healthcare in, in times of crisis, unfortunately, is kind of like um, very actual today, right? Because we, we wanted, the, so is someone from WHO coming to talk about, you know, how do you do healthcare? In, in times of, of war, of, of pandemics, what all these things that we have um, now a bit more experience on, unfortunately. 
So I think th this this could be very interesting. And um, personally, I also think um, interesting is another special session that is making essential cancer drugs affordable. So because it's super nice that we see now the triplets coming, Brian, but you know it's it's going to be probably difficult in a lot of countries to to get access and to get it paid i don't know what what you're thinking yeah totally agree i mean i think the the lesson to me is um you know we sort of get tend to get spe specific in our gu area and sort of ignore the other areas but but as you say sophie there's a ton of good stuff you know in other sessions and special sessions and you know sort of non-gu sessions so i think it's just a good reminder to look at the whole program you know and not just filter down to your specialty we <laughs> tend to do that. Tom, you want to wrap us up? Well, I was just uh, I was just going to say I spend a lot of my meetings tucked away in these small uh, lung cancer groups, um, you know, asking questions, that sort of stuff. So, uh, so no, but uh, but Silky, I do agree that I mean, there, you've got three presidential sessions. Is that right? Yes. I mean, maybe just maybe just, um, you know, do you want to just talk about before we, before we wrap those up? Because there were a couple there are there are two or three lung studies kicking around. Uh, are there any studies which you think that would um, be of particular interest to the GU group? Oh, that's a good question uh, for the GU group. Yeah, I, I guess for um, maybe bladder cancer, lung can always be interesting, right? So Agreed. there is there is new data about the perioperative um, immunotherapy in in lung cancer. So I guess that could be interesting to see, and maybe we can learn something. Um, and which therapy is that? Is that single agent immune therapy, immune combination, or chemo combo? Chemo immune combo. These are all, I mean, combos um, to see if perioperative, the, the addition of immune therapies is going to help. So what, it's, it's also in the orals, so you can go to the orals, lung cancer. You oh, you'll see me, I'll be in the front row of that. <laughs> but I hope to see you there. <laughs> we yeah, see. yeah. <laughs> anyway, and yeah, no, I guess there is also a lot of stuff about cancer prevention that is probably never as interesting. Um, but but I think also something to to look at if we think in the more globally, right? So I don't know about bladder cancer or kidney cancer. Is there anything? I guess Brian, probably obesity is one of the problems. Um, bladder, obviously, smoking. But but I guess um, there there is some interesting stuff there and maybe you know i don't know as a health system we could think more about prevention and then we don't have to think so much about treatment i don't know uh, <laughs> what you're thinking um sounds interesting yeah a lot of a lot of good stuff congrats on your role and getting this great meeting together we're looking forward to it appreciate you yes, joining Suki. us today brilliant thank you all right take care Suki. we'll see Bye. you there Bye -bye. <laughs> bye 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 bye